All right. Good morning, Redeemer, Cedar Falls, and Cedar Rapids, and those of uh, those of you who are joining us online. We know there's there's a handful of people who have been watching online for months and uh, for various reasons, and uh, we want to keep them in mind. Keep in mind that they're joining us, and and just pray that that God would open the doors for us to be together in healthy and helpful ways. It's a strange, strange season for sure, right? So let me pray, and uh, we're going to get into Isaiah here. Oh, God, I just <laughs> asked for help. I felt this morning just a rush, a sense of grace and being stunned by that and sitting in it, and then during worship I felt war. So I pray, God, that you would help me and help us. The enemy wants to give us a different vision of life and who we are. So pray and invite your spirit in here to do the work, God. Remind us of grace. and Give us a, a vision of what it means to sit and rest in that. Amen. So our mission statement is to fight for joy. And uh, it's literally war. I mean, it's literally, I'm sitting here this morning, I'm in the text, I'm like, yes, God's grace. And I'm listening to the songs and I'm like, just encouraged. And then like literally during worship, I'm just like, I feel it. I feel the war. I feel all these other messages about what matters. And they're not true. And so pray for me, for one another, that God would show us himself. Isaiah 43. So if you haven't been in Isaiah with us for the past several months, there's a lot going on there, and I'm not going to review it all right now. Here's basically where we are. God has disciplined his children, their flesh, and now he's comforting their spirits. Right? These last section of Isaiah's comfort to the spirit. If you've raised little kids, you know you need to discipline the flesh. And you also need to comfort the spirit. And here's what God is doing. Because they have gone through exile, their civilization has been wrecked, but they need to know about God, His love for them, and His commitment to them. So when we pick up in chapter 43, Israel is coming out of exile, right? Being released from captivity and sent back to the land. And they are in doubt about God's love for them. And so he speaks encouraging words to them over and over, more than once. There's a reason for that. So let me just give you a brief overview of our passage. We're in Isaiah 43, verses 18 through 28. First words, out of the gate. Remember not the former things. And we're going to linger there a little later. But God is calling to them to look forward and to not be rooted in the past, their exile, their sin, but to look forward to his promises. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? It's a wonderful thing. So we'll see that God is making outlandish promises here in the scriptures. He's going to do miracles, right? If you look at verse 19b, 
what is he going to do? Ninth, the second half of 19, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That is a miracle. In the dry and arid land, God will give drink. You see this repeated in verse 20. The second half, I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. God gives drink. Let me fast forward a little bit to 25. Who will do this? God. I. I am he. I will do this. Why? Because you won't and can't. Are you thirsty? Can you provide the drink? Do you come longing for joy and rest and peace? Can you do that? Where are you going to summon it from? Where is it? Is it at home? Is it in your pocket? We can't do it. If anything, we mess things up. Verse 22, you did not call upon me. You didn't even call upon me, God says. Oh, Jacob, you've been weary of me. Many of you have been Christians for years. Have you grown weary of God? Is he habit? Is he old furniture? Is he pattern? Is he culture? God condemning Israel, you have not, they've even ceased bringing sacrifices to him. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings. Verse 24, you have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. If you've been watching the news, you know that Supreme Court, right? There's a, a, a nominee for the Supreme Court, Amy Coney Barrett, and there was a meme that came out of that where she held up her blank notes. I don't know if you saw that, right? And um, I shared one this week, and it was basically said, well, you know, here's what I contribute to my salvation. Right? It's like, yeah, well put. And then someone else said, commented, actually, you contributed to sin that made it necessary. And I was like, dang, all right, <laughs> true that. <laughs> and there's merit to both of those perspectives. But this is basically what God's saying here. Like, you're not going to do this. You can't do this. So verse 25, I, I am he who will what? Blot out your transgressions. I will blot out your transgressions. I will remember them no more. God doesn't have faulty memory. Here's what he means. This will not be the basis for our relationship. Your sins, your weakness, your failure to call out to me. That will not be how we relate. That is not who you are to me. That's a drink for God's chosen people. That's a river in the desert. 
So let's just go bare gospel here. Like, what is the good news? God is holy. And when we say holy, we don't just mean like he doesn't smoke. Because he might. We have this vision of holiness, which is the things you don't do. But when the scriptures talk about God, it describes him this way. Psalm 1611, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is the source of all that is good and delightful, and pleasure emanates from his being. That's holiness. That to encounter him would be to experience that, right? Joy, you would be impacted by that. If we saw God face to face, we would be brought into that and subsumed, invited in to pleasure and transcendent joy, freedom, purity, imagination, creativity, and the kind of power that can only come from peace. Joe Brinkman, one of our worship leaders, he often prays at the beginning of the set when they're going to begin rehearsing, you know, God, bring, bring peace. And I'm like, bring fire. Like, come on, God. And, he's, and I said, Joe, like, pray for fire. And he goes, fire comes from the peace. And again, I was like, dang. People are schooling me. <laughs> to be stilled in the presence of God, like, he is Holy. He's good. And we are made in God's image, which means this. We are supposed to be like him. To be sources of joy in love, in goodness to those we encounter. Not just don't do certain things. Sure, we can get into a list of things we shouldn't, shouldn't do. But at the end of the day, we are God's image. We are his representatives on earth. And if he is the fountain of joy, we are to be fountains of joy. And we're not. My mother just came to visit. Do you, this isn't about her. This is about me. Do you think she drove away? What a fountain of joy this man is. Oh, he must know the living God. That's what it's supposed to be. See, we want to manage God's expectations and make this list that we can achieve and go, there, that's holiness. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't watch porn, whatever it is. I did that. And God's like, yeah, that's fine. But we are supposed to be his representatives. That as we move along the earth, people would be impacted and go, Tell me about your God. And that, nothing will prove that that's not who you are more than a visit from your mother. <laughs> Love you, Mom. She's not watching. But it's not her. It's me. Why? Because I'm broken. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't just do some things wrong. Like, I'm not... What I could be in Christ is broken.
So I want us to be aware of our sin because only then will we be aware of grace. So I need to sit here for a minute. In one sense, you're aware of your transgressions and your lack. Am I on still? Yes. But, but we lie about it. We spin a tail. We minimize God's holiness. We justify our behaviors so that we can get through the day. But God in His mercy pricks our consciousness. And He gives us His word because He wants us to wake us up to sin so that we may wake up to grace. C.S. Lewis says this, First of all, human beings all over the earth, no matter your worldview, have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and really can't get rid of it. This is what the scriptures in Romans 2 call the laws written on our hearts. All over the world, everyone knows this. We should behave or be a certain way. That's the first thing. The second thing we know is that we do not, in fact, behave that way. We know the law of nature. We break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. That might be an overstatement. They're important. I know I should be loving, sacrificial, encouraging, Generous, radically generous, others-oriented, considering others more important than myself. I know, I know, I know, and I don't do it. Why? I'm broken. You're broken. We collectively from the beginning have rejected God we have loved other things besides God and as a result have not loved one another you can look to Adam and Eve you can look Cain and Abel it's all through scripture it's in this passage right they have forsaken the Lord you can look throughout your week and see it we have men may have invented new technologies and industries and ways to sin and damage one another but at the end it's, it's the same it's rejection of God Love for self rather than neighbor. Sin. And sometimes that sin is outrageous, right? Theft and assault. And sometimes it's things like drugs. You know, all the bad things. Right? Romans 1 describes it this way. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Here's what's interesting. In the list with murder is gossip. It's one of those respectable sins. Like we do it all the time. We like it. Justify it. And it's on the list with murder. Because we are destroying people and destroying God's church, and destroying reputations, and being evil when we do that. But pray for your enemies. 
And when God says don't gossip and we do, we are being haters of God, Paul says. You're not just disobeying God. You're not just displeasing Him. You're hating Him. Because he says, pray for your enemies and don't gossip. And you say, get out of my face. I will gossip today. And I will invite others into it. And we'll have a delicious time. (laughs) Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. It's describing my children right now. I thought this was about me. (laughs) Foolish, heartless. I love you guys. (laughs) Um, Sometimes it's not outrageous stuff like that. Sometimes it's just setting about our own lives, looking to everything besides God as our Savior, and busying ourselves with pleasant little lives of raising kids and paying bills and maybe doing really, really good things like adopting and volunteering and starting businesses. And it's really a really peaceful suburban path to hell because it disregards God. God is doing a new thing, he says. That's a desert. That's a desert. That's a desert. A desert of iniquity and sin. It's everywhere. And no one has the power to change it and fix it except God. I mean, when you're really, really aware of the weight of sin in this world, like... Oh, gosh, like, we need a superhero, like literally, a superman, man that's beyond what I have and what you have. We need a miracle worker, someone who creates things out of nothing, someone who speaks light into dark, someone who brings back life from the dead, someone who can bring drink to the thirsty. Who is that? God. I am he. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And We believe ultimately what he's talking about is Jesus, the Superman. He is the river in the desert of iniquity. So we go to the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, crucified in our place. Because God is going to not remember our sins anymore. But it's not because he just sweeps them under the rug. That's not justice. Just to be like, oh, it's no big deal. All those hating God and gossip and murder. It is a big deal. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. Instead, he nails it to the cross. All your iniquity. I mean, I want us to consider for a moment what was nailed to the cross. Jesus, sin. He became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that. And all of our iniquity is embodied there and nailed to the cross. I mean, just my life. If Jesus just went to the cross for my sin... It would have been brutal. When you add to that all the people currently living that he died for, and historically, and in the future, I mean, 
have words for it. It's a lot. Our sins are nailed to the cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, willingly, lovingly, stepped in between our sin and the wrath of God and absorbed it for us. And for those who believe, we become the righteousness of God. Who we were is not who we are. This is why God says, do not remember the things of the past. Remember not the former things or consider the things of old. There's a lot to that, and part of it is your iniquity. It's gone. It's nailed to the cross, and you bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Mariana Trench, it's somewhere out in the ocean. <laughs> the, if you measure from the bottom of the Mariana Trench to the top, it's the, in the, if there was no water, it would be the highest mountains, right? It's so, so deep. That's your sin. That's a small picture of it. Can you see it? No. Stand on the shore and look out why. It's covered by the waters. As heavy, as deep, as broken, as painful as sin is, God's grace is more. Right? We sing that. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. There was a flood of grace coming from the cross. The song we sing, right? There is a fountain. It's at the cross. It's Jesus Filled with blood. It's filled with blood. And it's drawn from Emmanuel. That's God with us. It's drawn from Emmanuel's veins. That's what we see at the cross. And sinners, you and I, plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. All their guilty stains. All of them. All of them. All of them. No matter what you have done. No matter what you're thinking right now, no matter what you did this week, no matter how you treated your mother or your wife, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've looked at, no matter how much you've gossiped or slandered, no matter what you stole, no matter who you killed, no matter what you did to them or they did to you, all the guilty saints are gone, all of them, all, like all. Fight is to live there. Because we live, as we say, a Redeemer, between the cross and glory. God has come. He has taken all our guilty stains. But we carry around this unredeemed body, which is why Paul says in Romans 8 that we wait for the redemption of our bodies with a completely renewed mind and heart and spirit where we can walk in tune with God's grace. But right now we're prone to wander and believe lies and to remember the former things, consider the things of the past, to believe that that's who we are, and it's not. 
I was talking with a gentleman this week. I got to reconnect after months because of pandemic stuff. And he was, tell me about your life this last several months. He's prone to wander. This is a summary of it. We weren't allowed to go to church anymore. Zoom sucks. So he just isolated. And he just gave in to, right, not really atrocious things. Just the American life. Got a new house, moved, got some new hobbies. Closed his Bible, did not call upon God. And after some time, <laughs> had this realization Oh gosh, this is how I felt when I was an, uh, an unbeliever. That's God waking him up and wooing him back. Going back to God in prayer and opening the word. And he said, in a sense, this feels worse because I should have known better. And so he's tentative with God. It's God frowning. And I just want to tell him and you, this is not the basis of your relationship with God. The father runs after his children. He's not sitting there with arms crossed in a list of accusations. The accusations come from someone else. God's goodness is running after you. Remember not the former things. There's a completely different orientation to how we relate to this world. And it's grace. And it's so strange to us. It's, it's, oh, we've gotten tastes. But it's not our default operating system. So with God and with one another, we come back to the former things, guilt, shame, fear, condemnation, doubt. God is telling you, he's calling you out of that. Consider not the things of old. I'm calling you into a new thing. Out of shame. Out of shame. As I look back on my life, I think that one of the fundamental softwares that I ran on was shame. I'll spare you the details, but it's a very powerful element of my childhood. One of my favorite brief lyrics in a song is in the song, Sing to Jesus, when we confess that he is Lord of our shame. I don't know exactly what the writer means when he writes that, but I take two things there. Number one, in those moments, in my childhood, God was not absent. He was present with a purpose. He was Lord of that. The other is that that has been nailed to the cross. 
is not the foundation of how I am to relate with the world anymore. That's a former thing. So what's yours? What's he calling you out of? And a lot of them are the same, shame, guilt, fear for something, something someone did to you. Some, the way your father raised you, or your mother, or whatever. My father did blank to me. Fill in the blank, okay. But your father, like your real father, says, consider not the former things. That is not who you are. I am doing a new thing. Leave us with some words from Paul, Philippians 3. This seems sad to you. Sometimes I think. I'd never been happier. Like when we see, and hopefully I'm doing a fair job of describing both. Moa, the gravity, the Mariana Trench, but the flood, the flood, that's where we stand. And then we invite to sit in that. Listen to Paul. Right? This concept of not living in the former things. And he's going to list his accomplishments here. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's going to list his, right, that good life he lived. I was circumcised on the eighth day. He's listing all the accomplishments that would have been great in those days with Hebrews. I'm of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss. So everything up until the point of the cross, whatever your life looked like, whether you were a religious zealot or a drug dealer, they all go in the same bucket. It's called loss. And you cast it out. I count everything as loss. Why? Because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, the fountain. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, right? Because I can't do that. That comes from law and achievement, but that which comes through faith in Christ, believing in Jesus Christ alone, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And I press forward into that, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's the place where we're going. This is where we live. It's where Paul lived. Not that I have attained it already. I mean, it's purchased. It's mine. It's my inheritance. I am safe in the hands of God. 
but we live between the cross and glory. And so I have not already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on that way, not looking back, not remembering the things of the past, not rooting ourselves in those old identities and guilt and fear and shame, but turn this way. That's where we go. We press on to make it our own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me and straining forward to what lies ahead. That's the Christian posture. It's not easy. It's not a walk in the park. But it's fixed, eyes fixed on Christ, not considering the things of old. And straining. He's talking about the fight for joy. Look to Christ. Straining. Man, I love that language. So let's strain. We will now enter a time of straining. Like literally strain during worship. Strain! <laughs> strain! That's my exhortation to you. So let me invite the musicians up. We will enter a time of response. What is that response? It's, it's to sing, to worship. A word quickly about worship and singing. It's like a, a foretaste. Like we're made, our purpose is to worship God. There's a lot of ways we can do that. We worship Him through our work, worship Him through everything, right? All of life is worship. But there's something about singing that is just direct worship. Like, and so what our purpose, we can participate in it right now. Like right now. Just come and strain and forget the things of the past and all the things that you're carrying in the burdens and just be free in the presence of God and sing and praise and tell him of his greatness. Verse 21. We are the people who God has formed that we might declare his praise. We don't have to wait. So we'll sing. And it's also an opportunity to give. Many of you give online. If you don't, and there's boxes uh, by the entryways where you can do that. Thank you to all of those who have been doing that faithfully during these tough times. Also, if you believe God is revealing a word to you for the body today, sometimes God speaks to us and gives us an encouragement for the body. Sometimes it's just for us or a friend, but sometimes it's for the body to be heard. If you believe that that's the case, I ask that you submit that to me today, and uh, we'll discern together where, whether or not that's for today. And we're going to take communion. So, wow. Jesus does tell you to remember Something, not the former things, but the new thing, right? He sits with the disciples and says, do this in remembrance of me, right? So that he, he has mercy. He knows we're prone to wander. And so he gave us a way to week after week after week remember, right? Align our spirits and our hearts with grace. So when we come and we take the cup and the bread, you didn't get one of these on the way in. There will be someone walking around. If you can get one, please grab them on the way in. This makes it a lot simpler. But 
This is God's grace to us, an opportunity to remember, to taste, right? To engage not just our spirit, but even our taste buds, right? He says, I give drink in the desert. Like literally when my son and I take communion, we taste that little juice in there. I'm like, man, that is good. It's really good juice. That's a shadow, right? It literally is of drinking, drink. God says, I give drink for my chosen people. What is it? The blood of Christ. That's the river in the desert. So Jesus, instructing us, sitting with the disciples, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, <coughs> representing his body, and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We come to the cross and we remember where God Nailed our sins to the cross and gave us his righteousness. So let's strain together. God, we love you. We thank you. You are the one that saves. So be with us. Send your spirit to stir and bring us to repentance and rejoicing. Amen.